0: Our founding father, John Dickinson, in his famous pre-Revolutionary War, wrote a song called the Liberty Song. And in that song was the famous lyrics, by hand in hand, Americans all, united we stand, divided we fall. And on July 7th in 1768, that song was released to the world about being united we stand or divided we fall. Fast forward four years later on June the 1st, 1772, the state of Kentucky, our great state of Kentucky that we're broadcasting this message right now all over the world entered into the Union. Six months later on December the 20th in the very first general assemblies, they voted on the Commonwealth of the Kentucky seal and motto. That motto is still our motto today. United we stand. Divided, we fall. Now, come on. No one has to, you know, not be so naive to know that we live in a divided world right now. Not only do we live in a divided world, you know this. We live in a divided country. Nothing divides more than politics. Well, and except for recently, mask. If you want to The division, just talk about a mask. Churches all over the country are divided over Christians are divided over a mask, as if we're bowing down to worship the idol bell or something like. You want to bring division? Tell someone they need to wear a mask. You want to bring division? Tell someone they don't have to wear a mask, and see how that goes. But until then, nothing divides like politics, right? Because to you, when you think about it, if you really look at it, and we you see the world we live into, you would say, "Hey, Jesus should be a Republican," and you can list all the reasons why you believe Jesus should be a Republican. And then on the other side, you said, no, Jesus would be a Democrat, and this is the reason why Jesus would be a Democrat, and you have your list. And then Republicans would say, no, here's our Bible verses to prove it, and I've got the Bible to show you why Jesus believes this and why Republicans believe this. And then you have Democrats on this side say, oh, I got a Bible verse, too, for that, and this is my Bible verse, the reason why. Both have Bible verses. Both sides have the same Bible verses, yet we are so, so divided why because everybody's behavior makes perfect sense to them and everybody's response and beliefs makes perfect sense to them You know, one of the things that we do at our family, and we really guard this, is that at dinner time we have, you know, meals together. That's one thing we want to make sure the fam's together. If I'm running late behind, they wait on me till I get there, unless I just can't make it or something. But that's very rarely that happens. And when we sit around the table, a lot of times we talk about, you know, future stuff and hey, what's going on today as well? What'd you learn today? What's going in your life? We go around the table, talk to our kids. And then a lot of times, you know, we, we begin to talk about, hey, the future, someday, you know, when you get married, I wonder how many kids you're going to have. And we talk to back and forth and all this stuff. And then, you know, if you're like me, I have three boys and a little girl, four kids, you know, they're perfect angels, right? And they never pick on each other, but they they, they, they love to pick on each other, especially the, the middle son and the youngest son, the brothers, they go back and forth, back and forth. They're always picking on each other, just like, yeah, you don't know nothing about that if you have kids. You don't know what I'm talking about, right? And they pick on each other all the time. And so I would say to my sons, a lot of times we're sitting on a dinner table i I look across and I'll say to my middle son, Logan, I said, Logan, I hope you have a little boy that's just like Jake. That's my youngest son. And he's like, no, dad, I I can't have a son. I don't want a boy like Jake. And then he makes fun of Jake and say something to Jake. And I said, well, I hope you have a little boy just like you. And he says this, I hope I do too. I hope I have a little boy just like me. Why? Because to him, his behavior and his responses make sense to him. He goes, what do you mean? I mean, I'm fine. I'm perfect, right? I understand this. I do hope I have a little boy just like me. Well, I don't know if you've read this before, but that's really called the Miles Law. The Miles Law says this, that where you stand depend on where you sit. Let me explain that to you. Your culture context is where you sit and your perspective is where you stand. So your cultural context will determine your perspective or where you stand on politics or values or wherever it may be in your life. Let me give an example. Your political views that you have were shaped by many things in your life. One, it was shaped by where you live, now, I don't know where you live. Some of you right now, you're watching from Colorado. Some of you watching from North Carolina. We're glad you're joining us. Indiana, we have people watching from India. Uh, we can see statistics all over the world. We're, we're, where are you watching from? Well, we're in Eastern Kentucky. And where you live determines how you believe value or even politically. If you go from Eastern Kentucky just over to Lexington, there's a little bit of difference. If you go to Lexington to Louisville, it's a massive difference. One, well, we... Don't like the basketball team as well. But that's another whole story. We'll we'll, we'll talk about that later. You go north two hours, you go to Cincinnati, it's a completely different culture. Why? Because where you live will determine the values and the political thoughts and and the things that you were taught as a little boy or a little girl. How you were raised will determine how you believe politically or the values you have. Maybe you're raised with both mom and dad. Maybe you're raised with just mom. Maybe you're just raised with dad. Maybe raised with absent parents. Maybe raised by your grandparents, who come from another generation from you, who taught you what they value and what they believe politically, which is a two generations away. So how you were raised, and the reason I'm saying all this, is because before you start judging your brother or sister who's a Democrat or Republican, you first got to understand where do they come from. How were they raised? What were their backgrounds like? Were you educated or not educated? Did you go to a higher education or did you not get hired? How you were educated in our educational system today, when you go to a higher education, even a liberal arts school, whatever it may be, how they're maybe puts an agenda or what they're saying determines how you believe your values or where you stand politically. Maybe it was for what you've been told. Maybe someone told you this. i never forget. I was a little boy. I went to a guy and I talked to him and we were talking. I didn't know nothing about politics, didn't really care anything about politics. I'm just a, just a boy. And I looked at this guy and I said, am I a Democrat or am I a Republican? And he took a step back and looked at me and I said, so am I a Democrat or am I a Republican? Because I don't know. And here's what he said. Looked at me, he says, do you have any money? I said, no, sir, I have no money. He said, then you're a Democrat. That was his exact word to me. Because, in his mind, Democrats are for the poor people and all this stuff, and, and if you 're a republican you 're capitalist, you 've got all the money and you 're wealthy if you 're wealthy, then you 'd be a republican. so the first thing i 'm told as it was if, if you 're poor, then you must be. A Democrat. You see, I don't know what someone has spoken over you into your life, but you got to understand what they have said to you. You will harbor and you will carry, and that shapes your political view and also your values. Maybe for you, it's what you've seen in life. Some of you, you, you fought in wars and you've been in the military and you think, and what you have seen and determine how, how the world should work when it comes to political power that, that you've seen. Some of you, what has happened to other people, you've seen other people oppressed and that fires you up. And because you've seen that, you take a stance or a justice or, or, or one way or the other that leans your way because you're passionate about fixing that certain injustice in your life. And that shapes where you stand politically or what you value. At the end of the day, both parties are trying to persuade you one way. And one of the greatest ways to do that, one of the greatest ways to motivate you to move is fear. And fear tactics work. If you don't believe me, look over the media for the next little bit. Look what the media, media is all about trying to create fear and chaos in your life because if they create, create fear, they'll keep you coming back for information because you're scared. You want to hear what's going on. So the whole tactic is to, is to be fearful and, and the worst-case scenario so that you would stay you know, on your toes to listen to what they have to say. It's, it's, it's fear sells, fear moves. Fear tactics works. Let me give you an example. One campaign was sent him and says, listen, if a socialist gets reelected or if a socialist gets elected in our country, here's what's going to happen. Everything you've worked for your entire life is gone. Everything that you think is yours and you've broke your back for it and you worked hard and you saved, they're going to take your money from you and they'll give it away to people who don't work, who are lazy or whatever it may be for themselves. And they're going to take from you and give to everybody else. So if you don't want that in your life, hey, would you give us $25? Will you give us $50? Will you give us $100 and join our campaign? Why? Because fear works. Or on the other side, if the president gets reelected, here's what's going to happen. There's going to be trade wars with China, and the trade war is going to live into a a fallout war, and there's going to be World War III, there's going to be nuclear wars happening everywhere, and your kids and grandkids are going to walk around as zombies because toxic stuff is going to fly through the air. And if you don't want that for your grandkids, would you please join our movement? Give us $50, give us $100, give us $500. Why? Because fear motivates you to move to do something. Some of you freeze, but eventually you have to make a choice. They know this and they want to push this on you. But at the end of the day, what I believe what a lot of us fear is that we fear that we're gonna lose something, right? We fear that we're gonna lose something. And so because we're free, we're gonna lose something, we'll join one side or pick one side or the other. For you, maybe you fear, hey, I'm, I'm gonna lose my rights. And if I'm going to lose my right, even though it goes against some of the other things that they stand for, but even though I, I'm going to lose my rights, that's what's most important to me. So I'm going to pull a lever. I'm going to vote. I'm going to go this way because I'm afraid I'm going to lose my rights. For some of you, it's your guns. Ain't nobody taking my gun. I ain't going to lose my gun. I'm afraid somebody's going to take my gun. So I'm going to stand up and I'm going to go this way because this side wants to take my guns for me. We can go all the way through this. My freedom. If you go down this path, your freedom's gone. You're going to lose your freedom. You'll never have freedom of choice. You'll never have freedom to speak. You'll never have freedom some more. So if you're afraid to lose freedom, go this way. It's a fear move. It's a fear tactic because we are afraid. We're afraid we're going to lose something. Maybe for you, you're afraid you're going to lose money. You're a small business owner. You know everything's happening and going on in your life. And if I go, they're going to raise taxes. If they raise taxes, i got to pay more money. Instead of giving my kids what I want to give to them, now i got to disperse it out because they're going to raise my taxes because someone has to pay for a stimulus bill. Y'all know that, right? Somebody has to pay for it. So taxes are raised. Well, nobody's going to touch my money. I'm afraid I'm going to lose money, so I'm going to vote. See, my political values are moved based on what I'm afraid of. Or now we're, we're Christians. I'm a pastor. We're in a church. And, and if you go this way, then you may lose your religious freedom. And if you lose religious freedom, the next thing you know, we can't stand and preach the gospel. We can't share our faith. And we don't want churches shut down. We don't want churches closed. We don't want the church to not be able to move as if a government could stop that. Just ask Rome. It didn't work out well for them. I'm going to talk about that in the weeks to come. No one can stop God's church from moving, but I'm afraid I'm going to lose my religious freedom, so I'll stand up, I'll make a statement, I'll I'll be passionate, I'll give money to something. Why? Because I'm afraid. Because fear will motivate you and persuade you from one value to the next. You will even go against what you know to be true to value because of one thing you're afraid of, you'll go and you'll pull lever or you'll vote. What do you do? Because united, we stand. But man, divided, we fall. Max Lucado, the great author, he says this fear creates a form of spiritual amnesia. Here, what happens when fear enters into our life as Christians, we completely forget about the sovereignty of God. We completely forget about the promises of God. We completely forget that God's in control. Yes, the world may be chaos right now, but God is not out of control. He is sitting on his throne. He's completely sovereign. He is not panicking over what's going on in our world. But when we're afraid, we forget God's promises. We forget that God's in control. We forget that there is a purpose and plan for everything that God wants to do and accomplish. Now, here's what you would say. Pastor, I understand understand that out there. And when you say out there, I'm talking about the world. But what about in here? What about the people of God? What about the church of God? What about the bride of Christ? What about the big C church today? Because churches, and you know this, are very diverse in politics. Our church is very diverse in politics, and you know that. We, we, we're not naive to understand it. Why? Because we live in a divided, divided country. So a question I have that I would pose to you is is how can we disagree politically yet love each other unconditionally? And I know what most of you say, you think you've got that one under control. You're like, yeah, I can disagree with you, but I love you. Really? Do you really love them? Like, do you really love them unconditionally when someone completely opposite disagrees with your values, how you're raised, what you believe, what you stand for, what you fought for? Do you really say that you unconditionally love someone who's a brother or sister in Christ who completely 100% disagrees with you and your political agenda or your values or what you believe? How do you do that? So here's a question that I would have that I would ask you is this, are you willing to evaluate your politics through the filter of faith rather than create a version of your faith that supports your politics? Some of you now. let me repeat that one more time. Are you willing to evaluate your politics through the filter of faith versus, and here's what most people do, they create their faith to support their politics. That's a very, very fine line to walk through as on both sides, because both sides have Bible verses. Both sides use them to support their agenda, their movement, what they stand for. And here's what most people do. They put their political filter in front of their faith filter. That's a very fine line, but in the church today, most people would die for their political party before they ever would die for Christ. You would stand up for what your party believes versus standing up what Jesus has said. Why? Because you put your political filter in front of your faith filter. As a kingdom As a citizen of God, I am required to put my faith filter in front of my political filter. And for most people, that's very difficult for them to do. Because here's why. Because when following Jesus, and it will, following Jesus will become tough for you when Jesus puts space between you and your party. And I'm telling you, if you follow Jesus, it will put space between you from both parties. What do you do? See, that's what makes people uncomfortable. And that's why people choose to put their political filter in front of their faith filter. Because when they follow Jesus, it puts distance between what a party may say, what a culture may say. I'll talk about that next week. What people would say, how I was raised, what my parents told me, what their generation told them. And following Jesus now puts space between both sides. What do I do? As a Christian, how do I live as a citizen of heaven in this world. We're gonna talk about that in the New Now series as time comes, as we walk through this. Here's the point I'm trying to make. A Christian Democrat should have way more in common with a Republican Christian, a Christian who's a Republican, than a Democrat who's not a Christian. Let me say that one more time. A Christian who's a Democrat should have way more in common with a Christian who's a Republican than a Democrat who's not a Christian. And folks, let's just face it, even in churches across America today, that is not so. That is not so, and here's what happened, that is sad. That is sad that discord and disunity has now infiltrated and filtered the church. And it has for years, I understand that, but we live in such a divided world right now, in a divided country, that the church should be the one bringing the unity, because here's the reality, we are divided so what do we do? You know what the good news is? Jesus knew this was coming. Jesus knew that someday division would come to the body of Christ. He knew that division would come to the bride of Christ, and I'm not just talking about denominations and all that stuff, and that was divided, stuff like that, because denominations, listen to me, are man-made. Hope you know that. If not, you now know that. He knew division was coming, and since he knew this, he suggested and released a prayer request to his heavenly father. And this prayer request is found in John chapter 17. So if you have your Bibles real quick, go to John chapter 17, because in John chapter 17, we get to see an intimate moment between Jesus and his heavenly father where he prays and has a prayer request. Have you ever thought about Jesus having a prayer request? Have you ever thought about that? See, I know what you're saying, like the Lord's prayer. The Lord's prayer is really the disciples' prayer because Jesus never had to pray God forgive me my sins because he was sinless. You wanna hear Jesus pray? Go to John 17. And in John 17, we get a glimpse of an intimate moment between the son and the father and the son requesting a prayer request, watch this, for you. 2,000 years later, for you. Do you know that Jesus prayed for you in John 17? And I wanna walk you through this so you could see the exact thing that he prayed for you. Verse 11 says this. I am no longer in the world. This is Jesus, he's about to be ascended to the Father. But they are in the world, they, he's talking about his disciples. They're here, I'm leaving them behind. They're right here. I'm coming to you, Holy Father, here's, here's the request, here's the request. Keep them, the disciples, Keep them safe in your name. Your name is so holy, set them apart and protect them and keep them safe. Now, you know, most of them were flogged. Most of them were, you know, murdered. Most of them died for their faith. That's a no other topic. But God said, I'm going to use this. I'm going to keep them safe. I'm going to keep them as one. Watch this. And that you have given them so that, here it is, keep them safe so that the disciples may be one just as we are one. Now, I want you to picture this. Jesus requests the disciples to be one just as the Father and the Son are one. Can you imagine that intimate fellowship and relationship they have? He said, just as we are intertwined and we are one, I want no division to become between the disciples and the body of Christ, and I want them to be one. So Father, I'm praying, will you please protect the ones you've given me so that they may be one? Now, why in the world did Jesus pray 2,000 years ago for the church to be one? Why did he do this? Well, keep reading, verse 20. I'm not praying only on their behalf, their, let's put it in context, those disciples, Look what it says. But also on those who believe in me through their testimony. That's you. Every single one of us today who claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, the only way you know that is because those who were flogged and beaten and crucified and died, their testimony survived all antiquities, survived all generations, survived Rome. We'll talk about that. Government and made their way into your home and made their way into your life that someday you walked out of camp and someone said a prayer with you and you prayed at a revival you gave your life to Jesus. On a Sunday morning or through the internet, you gave your life. I am here testifying today based on their testimony of 2,000 years ago when Jesus says, for every single person who believes the testimonies for every generation, for generation, for generation, I have a prayer request, Father, for them. He prayed for you. And this is what he prayed. He says right here in verse 21, that they, us, us, yes, the big C church, whether you're in Indiana, Illinois, it doesn't matter where you're watching, Arizona, us, all of us, watch this, that they will be one just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. And I pray that they will be in us so that, here it is so that the world will believe that you have sent me. You know why the devil wants to bring discord and dissension in the church and division in the church? Because when we are divided, we fall. And when we fall, we have no moral integrity. We have no moral authority to look at a world to say there is a better life that you could have because we are so divided ourselves. And now we become a laughing stock to the world because we can't even get along. Jesus knew division was coming and he prayed that the enemy would not sow seeds of division among churches, among the body of believers because the unity is the testimony That though we disagree politically, we love each other unconditionally enough that the world will see this crazy, audacious love for one another and change the entire world. And if you don't see that, listen, I'm not trying to be mean. It's because you have put your political filter in front of your faith filter. And that's exactly what the devil wants to happen in the church. So division would run rampant in the body of Christ so the world would not see the one true God. Do you see this? Now do you know why Jesus prayed this? Now do you know why he knew division was coming in the body, in the church? And in the world, so he says in verse 22, the glory you've to me, that you gave to me, I'm gonna to give to them. I want this unity to be glorified, that they may be one just as we are one, and in them and you and me, that they may be what just completely, utterly one. One. Could you, could you imagine if every single church was one? Like that unified, could you imagine honestly what our community will look like in our region if the churches wouldn't fight over whether well, you wear jeans or you wear a suit or one translation or you have drums or guitar or you don't have a steeple in your church building, I have a steeple, you have an organ, I have no organ, you can't play no music, it's no music. Could you imagine if we put all those opinions away and we were one, we could change an entire world. But people can't get past There are differences of opinion and division comes. And we wonder why we can't reach our communities. That's exactly what the enemy wants to happen in the church. And he says, I want this to be one so that, completely one. Here it is, so that the world may know. That the world will know that you've sent me, that Jesus is the king in this new kingdom, which I will address and talk about next week and you have loved them just as you have loved me here's what's so fascinating unity is not for us don't miss this it's not for us God doesn't want us to be one for us God wants us to be one so he can work through us don't miss that He's not praying to be one just so that y'all be happy and sing kumbaya together. He wants us to be one so he can work through us into a division, a lost, dying, pagan world. So he's thinking, how am I going to reach a pagan world? Here's how we're going to do it. We're going to have all these messed up sinners, these messed up people who's been saved by grace, who believe everything differently when it comes to politics and how it should be. But they put their differences aside and they love each other unconditionally. And it's with that common bond, I'm going to show a pagan world that I am the true God. Now, do you see why the enemy wants to divide the churches? Now, do you want to see why he wants to divide the people who serve in the church? because he doesn't want the world to see that Jesus is the one true God, that there is one purpose, one message, and one command. And what is this command? Listen to this command, John 13, 34. I give you a new commandment. What is that command? Here it is, love one another. To love them, even though you disagree with them. And that's what happens there in a world, right? If you disagree with someone, then you don't love them. If I disagree with you, then you don't think I love you. (laughs) Wait till you get married. Because you'll disagree, but you can still love. If you can't disagree and love someone, that's because you're immature and you need to grow up. Because you can disagree with someone and still love them. How do we do that? How does that look? And how do we put our differences aside to make that happen? Here's a new commandment, to love one another just as I have loved you. Why? Jesus says, I've loved you and you've messed up and blew it. And I know you don't believe that holy the way that I believe. You also to love one another. Everyone will know this, that when you love, when you have this unconditional love, this unity, even though you put your differences aside, but you your unity, everyone will know by this that you are my disciples that you are a follower of the way, that you are a follower of Jesus. If you, see, it's a choice. You have a choice to put your faith filter in front of your political filter. If you love one another. So here's my question. How can we disagree politically yet love each other unconditionally? On November the 3rd, your candidate will win or lose. That's gonna happen. On November the 3rd. But what's gonna determine on how we win or lose as a church is how we treat people between now and then. And I'm gonna ask us as a body of faith that we love people who we disagree with, we build this unity, we build this bridge. We get to know the person, how they were raised, what their parents thought, what generation, what they've seen, what they've experienced, what they went through. We take time before we judge them to understand them. Because if you made this statement, and I'm honestly, I've made this statement too in my past, so I'm pleased, I'm not preaching at you. I, I've said this too. How in the world can you call yourself a Christian and vote for and fill in the blank? I've said it, I raised my hand. You know what that says? That says more about me than about the person I'm talking about. Because I haven't taken the time to learn what their values, how were they raised, what have they experienced, who's spoken to their life. I'm not taking time to get to understand them to come to the point, now I see why you see and why you believe what you believe. That's called maturity. You take time to learn. You take time to love someone before you instantly judge their heart or their character or maybe their values or where they believe politically. You know, in our short history as a nation, both sides have gotten it wrong. You know that, right? Both sides have completely gotten it wrong. And we shouldn't let anything divide us. Why would we allow ourselves to be divided by temporary political parties? And please hear me, they're temporary. Nothing lasts no kingdom last why would we be divided by a lesser king for four years max eight years come on come on come on church we're smarter than that we're more mature than that we're a follower of jesus We can't let little things divide us, whether we should have service outside, wear a mask, not wear a mask. You know, should we do online or not online? I mean, come on, come on, come on, wait, 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 wait. We're talking about people's souls, man. We can't let this stuff divide the church who Jesus died for and gave us the the privilege to usher in the kingdom through us. -uh, uh Nuh-uh, uh-uh, we gotta fight for unity. We've got to reach across the aisle. Not to be political. Build a bridge instead of divide. Why, pastor? Why are you so passionate? So the world will know that he is the Lord. Jesus says, he makes this statement. They will argue about where demons can cast out demons and all this stuff. And he makes it say, a house divided will not stand, it will not fall. Listen to me, church, we want to reach this region, we want to change this region, we want to change this world, then united we stand. Or divided, we will fall. And I want us to be a people who unite, not for injustice, not for a party that's temporary, but for the kingdom. And for that to happen, I'm gonna have to put down some of the things that really doesn't matter. And when I follow Jesus, we'll create space on both sides of the aisle, but following Jesus is way worth it if we just keep our eyes on Him. So here's what I want you to do. Maybe you're watching a Watch Party, maybe you're listening to this on the treadmill, on the podcast, whatever you're doing. I have three questions I want you to ask yourself. You take a moment, you can write these down, however you wanna do this because we're getting ready to go into a time of worship and reflection. But I want, you, I want you to think about these three questions as you walk through this, as you walk through today or as you just listen to it now, maybe you wanna ask yourself these questions in your group. However you, how you want to do this, but here's the first one. Are you putting your political filter in front of your faith filter? That Only you can know that. Ask God to search your heart and see if that's you. Here's another question. What's one thing you can start doing right now, right now to build unity in the body of Christ? Maybe you need to let some things go. Maybe you need the things, the values or belief that's really you're fighting for is really not worth dying for. Maybe you need to take a step and say, you know what, I'm going to be sowing seeds of unity, not trying to bring division. What's one thing you could do to start unifying the body of Christ? And then here's the last one. Who do you disagree with politically that you need to start loving unconditionally? Now, I can't see in your living room or where you're at right now. Don't be elbowing somebody because they may be sitting right next to you, okay? That's today. Welcome to Bear Life Church. We're glad you're here. We practice what we preach, application right now. But who do you need to start loving unconditionally that you completely disagree with? And let them see that love and unity. Why? So the world may know. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love and your grace and your mercy that's new every day. God, come on, we know we're not right and perfect all the time. We know that we have a flawed worldview. Every single one of us watching or listening to this have been marked by sin, marred by sin and have fallen short because of sin. And because of sin, we all have a, all of us, a flawed worldview. So in the midst of sin and flaws and division, would you bring your body, your church together? That you would unite us to be one. That we will fulfill the prayer requests of your son so the world May know that you're the King of Kings, that you're the Lord of Lords, that no political kingdom can rise or fall unless you breathe the word, that no one can sit on any lesser throne unless you have allowed it. You are the King, you are the Lord. May our eyes be fixed on you and trust you in the days to come.
1: For it's your name we ask and pray. Amen. Whoa. Church and politics intersected, mind blown. What just, right, what just happened? You know, uh, and what a great way to kick off watch party starting to discuss like, some hot oh topics. Oh politics yeah. right off the yeah. bat. Yeah. Is Jesus a Democrat or Republican? Oh that's, my god, that's <laughs> a question. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> wow. Uh, but man, great message and such a timely message for where we are right now. What a divided country we live in. If you if you did not know. Just open Facebook at any point, man. People yelling on both sides. Everyone's and, disagreeing. That's right. And, uh, man, I love when he said we should have more in common with a Christian from either party and someone in our own party. Yes. and What, what I mean, that that's was so
2: convicting. Yeah, that was yeah definitely, good. definitely. I loved yeah. when he was talking about the filter, how we look at mm. faith through a politic filter. And I feel like a lot of times we look at people and we see them as their political party. Mm. But if we mm. look through the faith filter, we'll see them as a child of that's God. Right. And it's like, whoa, whoa. hold on. Yes. So something is not lined up here.
1: And the temporary kingdoms that he talked about, and really oh that, that goodness, goes so yes. much further than just politics, right? Yes. I mean, there's so many things that we look to, we put our hope in. But at the end of the at the end of the day, yes, Jesus is the hope
2: of the world. And he is uh, on the throne. That's right. That's right. But guys, there are tons of next steps that you can take after a message like this. Yes. And today, if salvation is your next step, I just want to come alongside you, encourage you. We mm. want to give you some resources. We just want to be here as right. you take this next step. And you can let us know by texting save. To the BLC text line. Like I said, we just want to celebrate with you. We have all kinds of resources that we want to give you as you take this huge next step. That's
1: right. Don't do it alone. Don't do it alone. If you're sitting in a watch party right now, um, let somebody in your watch party know, but definitely text. We Like like Jordan said, we want to send you some resources. We want to celebrate with you. And we just, we're here to help. That is that is the mission of our church, to help you follow Jesus. And that's where it begins, right? Is 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 with salvation. Absolutely. And right after that, just just right after that. Your next step is to follow Jesus's example and be baptized. And August 23rd, uh, we've got this baptism experience at the lakes coming up, Cave Run Lake, Grayson Lake. We want to to help you in that. We want want to uh, see you take that next step. And so text baptism, once again, to our BLC text line, you can choose which location is nearest to you. And we want to celebrate that with you as well.
2: And guys, another next step, And we wanna thank all of you that have given online so Mm -hmm. far. Mm -hmm. Um, It's through your giving that we're able to have events like baptism that we're able to give to the community during Mm -hmm. this time. You give through the church, you're not giving to the church. That's right. But if today you're wanting to take the next step in supporting the ministry of Better Life Church, you can do so at betterlife.church slash give now. You can also do so on the app.
1: Awesome. Well, guys, I cannot believe it, but our time has come to an end again. Uh, just a awesome, awesome time together. Uh, but just want to encourage you once again, those of you who are in your watch parties, take an opportunity, those questions that Pastor Daniel mentioned, take an opportunity, take a, a few more minutes there and just, just start uh, discussing those a little bit. Um, friendships happen through conversation. Connection happens. Community, Community. happens yes. through conversation. And so it, I know those kind of came up kind of quick. If you want to get those right on your phone right now, text REFLECT, R-E-F-L-E-C-T, getting that uh, spelling down that again spelling. to our BLC text line, 606-268-9436. We'll send those questions right to your phone right now. All right, guys, once again, thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you right back here next week.